The following audio is from Citizens Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. If you're interested in getting involved with our family, visit citizenscharlotte.com connect. Our teaching text this morning comes from Ecclesiastes 9, 1 through 6. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hands of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner. And he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Good to see all of you. If we haven't met before, my name's Garrison. I'm one of the pastors. Uh, if you got a Bible, you can go to Ecclesiastes 9, what Morgan just read for us. Um, we'll get there in just a little bit. I'd love to start with a little exercise uh, for us this morning. So uh, if you have a journal, um, maybe take that out and uh, number from one to nine, leave a little bit of space. If you have a phone or iPhone, you can use your notes app. If you have an Android, you can make an appointment at the Apple store anytime. <laughs> I actually don't care, but you know, easy joke. Um, what, what these are, list of one to nine, um, they're nine categories that represent the things in our lives that uh, provide meaning and value for us. Um, and the first one is going to be your family of origin. So you can write that down as the header. And what I want you to do is I want you to write down the names of your parents. I want you to write down the names of your parents. And uh, it doesn't necessarily matter if you have a good relationship or a bad relationship with them. We, we all sort of um, have our stuff with our folks. But no matter who they are, they had a huge impact on who you are today. Also write down the names of your siblings as to just anyone that would be in your family of origin. For that second one, as you're wrapping that up, I want you to write down the name of your spouse. Write down the name of your spouse. If you don't have a spouse, that's totally fine. Um, we always want to note that the Bible is clear that marriage does not complete you. If you never get married, that is totally fine. If you do get married, that's great too. Either way, it's going to be an important decision an important relationship. So write down their name on that list as well. That third one, write down the names of your kids. You can also write down how many kids you want, maybe. What's, what's your dream number of kids? For the fourth one, I want you to write down the names of your friends. So it might take you a little more time. Anyone that comes to mind when I say your friends, it could be your, your childhood friends, it could be your high school friends, your college friends, your adult friends, your mom friends, your dad friends, your community group church friends, your work friends, your neighbor friends. I don't really care. Just write down your friends. Anybody who you know, who knows you, loves you, is in your life. Some of y'all have a lot of friends. Good job. We're going to go to the next one, our work. What do you do with most of your life? 
What's your career? Write that down. That can be volunteer work. It could be if you're a stay-at-home mom, that is all work. School. You can also put what work you want to do, what career path you want to switch to or do one day. Next one will be your hobbies. What do you do for fun? What do you do for fun? What would you like to do for fun? Some of us will have a lot of things to say. Some of us won't, and that's okay. What do you do with your free time? The next two are from our past. I want you to write down anything that comes to mind when I say your accomplishments. What have you achieved in your life? It could be like graduating college, getting a promotion or a raise. What have you accomplished? Don't be like, oh, I'm bragging. You're bragging to yourself. No one's going to see it. It's okay. What have you achieved? And the next one's also from our past. It's our memories. I want you to write down any, any words that describe your, your most fond memories. It could be a trip. It could be a season of life. Um, it could be a moment like your wedding or when you became a parent. What are some of your most fond memories? And the last one is for the future. What are your hopes and your dreams and your goals? Where do you want to be in a couple years? What are you hoping to accomplish? What do you want to do? Who do you want to become one day? All right, I'm going to pray for us. Keep that list handy. We'll come back to it in a little bit. Father God, we are thankful um, for who you are. We're thankful for... Um, the ability to get to be here this morning. We are thankful for your word. Um, I pray for us as we talk about something heavy yet again, that you'd be with us, that you would show us uh, what you have for us. We thank you for your grace and your kindness. We pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I was 17 when my great uncle died. I didn't have grandfathers growing up. Um, my, dad's my dad's dad died when I was really young, um, and my mom's dad was never really in the picture. But I had my great uncles, and the one that I was closest to, his name was Johnny. Johnny uh, was probably one of the most massive human beings I've ever met and seen in my life. He was over 6'5", which happens, but he was honestly like wide as a door. Just a very large man. He played um, college football at Ole Miss in the 50s. He was a, a lineman. And he worked on 18-wheeler trucks uh, his entire life. Um, I guess you could describe him as a very, you know, a man's man. Um, but late in life, Johnny got sick. And he was very old. And I remember we went to visit him in hospice. And he had grown so weak that he couldn't move. He couldn't talk, and uh, they literally had a machine, as oftentimes happens, had to pump oxygen into his body to even keep him alive. And it, it struck me that this man that was super strong, large, almost um, larger than life to me, would become so weak. Um, that night was the night that he died. And uh, I know that many of you have had experiences just like that just like the one I described, death of a loved one or a friend. If you haven't, then they're coming. This is one of the last things that the preacher is going to observe about life under the sun, and that's that death is inevitable. Death is inevitable. 
There is a 100% mortality rate for all of humanity. This is something that the preacher has brought up a lot throughout Ecclesiastes. He said that this is the big issue for human life under the sun, that we try to chase the good life by trying to accumulate more, by doing the best things that life has to offer, by chasing money, by becoming wise and knowledgeable, by trying to control the seasons of our life, but it's all for naught because we're going to die. And when we die, death is going to wipe all of that away. So if death is inevitable, the question then becomes, how do we actually live? If what the preacher is saying is true and has been true the whole time, what do we do with that? Because after all, this is wisdom literature. That's what the book of Ecclesiastes is. Not just sad literature. It's wisdom literature. We're supposed to learn how to live in light of it. So that is going to be our goal this morning, is to how how we should live in light of our impending death. How to live in light of your impending death. In order to get there, we, we first need to see what the Bible actually says about death in general first. So I'd love to get us there by going to Ecclesiastes 9, and we'll start in that first verse. The preacher says, But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise, their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know. Both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and to the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifices. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. So we sort of get this picture of the preacher, who's a man at the end of his life at this point, sort of just pondering all of the different types of information and experiences that he's accumulated. He's this old man, just, he says, I laid all of this to heart. He's trying to put it all together, and he hones in once again on this theme that we talked about last week. What happens to the righteous versus the wicked? He looks at the outcomes of their life, and he says it's impossible to know whether a person's life in this world is going to be easy or hard, full of joy or suffering, regardless if they're righteous or wicked. Yet he says there's a comfort in knowing that the righteous are in the hand of God, but even still, both the righteous and the wicked have the same ending. The same result happens to both of them. They both die, whether they're good or evil, clean or unclean, godly, ungodly, all will die. And I would say that's his observation on life, but he keeps going and he he sort of labels it a certain way that I think is really interesting. Keep going, verse 3. He says, this is an evil and all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. But he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion. It's really profound if you caught that. So, so far, the preacher, he's been sort of stoic the whole time, right? almost emotionally detached, where he's like, this is vanity, that's vanity. But he sort of changes the tune a little bit here. He's talking about death. He says it's evil. It's evil. It's wrong. It's not how it should be. He's saying this whole death thing, it's not the design, which is the biblical category. Death is not natural. Death is not natural. I don't know if you've ever heard someone say that, that death is natural. It's part of the circle of life. That isn't true. 
That is not true. There was no death in the garden. There was no death. We can trace this all the way back to Genesis 3. Death is part of the curse. It's part of the fall. We, we remember, what's the warning that God gives Adam and Eve? He says, don't eat of the tree or what? Or you'll die. And they eat. They, and sin enters into the world. And the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. So we sin and therefore we die. That's where sin comes from. But that's not how it was supposed to be originally. And that's why if you uh, turn all the way to the end of your Bible, to Revelation 21, when Jesus restores the original design, he says death will be no more. He wipes it all the way. We were designed by God to live with him forever, but we sinned and the wages, what's deserved for sin is death. That is both a, a spiritual death, a separation from God, but it's also a physical death. We literally, our bodies die. That's part of why universally no one likes death even if they explain it different ways or even say it's part of the circle of life there's something in everyone that when we're exposed to death we rage against it and we say this feels wrong you'll hear that a lot not just with christians this feels wrong that is everybody's worldview lining up with the bible because the bible is ultimate reality on this subject death is not natural it is evil so as Christians, we walk in this tension of acknowledging, yeah, we know that death is coming and we know why, but we don't necessarily say that we like this. We mourn it. We hate it, which I would argue is a unique perspective on death. It's much different than we tend to find outside of the Christian faith because our culture tends to respond to death three ways. Three ways. And the first way, and this seeps into our own lives, it seeps into the church, is that the first one is we cheapen death. We cheapen it. Some people overly embrace death and view death as an out. And this tends to be really sad when you see this specifically. You see this a lot with suicide, suicidal ideation, depression. It's devastating. Where you just see death is relief for me because my life is so painful. But this is actually making its way into more macro-level systems in something, I don't know if you've heard of it, called assisted death. This uh, gained a lot of traction a couple years ago in Europe. It's literally a medical doctor euthanizes a human being. And this has made its way uh, into the U.S. It's really prominent in Canada right now. It started as just something that, uh, that only the terminally ill or the elderly could receive. But actually in Canada, they're passing laws. They passed one two years ago that anyone with a chronic painful illness, not even life-threatening, could receive this. And they're actually in the process of changing it to anyone with a mental illness can get it as well. And this is already legal in 10 U.S. states. It's going to become more prevalent. Which uh, we, we want to say, if you are wrestling with any of that, please, please come talk to us. We want you to know that you're loved. We want you to know that this is not the solution for you. Death is not the answer. We don't cheapen death. The second way that uh, our culture tends to respond to death is by ignoring it. Ignoring death. It's much more common. We ignore it. We run away from it. It tends to come out uh, a lot with our jokes, does it not? Self-deprecating humor, dark jokes, which, you know, I will just be the first to say, I do that. We know this about me. I like the jokes. I like good content. But if we're, if we're honest, it, it's because this makes us uncomfortable. 
We don't want to deal with it. So we make the jokes about it, the sort of distance ourselves from it. Another way it, it can come out, ignoring death, is by going the YOLO method, where I'm aware that death is coming, so I'm just going to live life for me. We saw the preacher do this, right? Chasing more, doing his experiment. We do the same things. I'm going to live life for me. Life is short. I'm not going to do anything inconvenient or hard. I'm going to have as much fun as possible. We ignore death. And the last way that we respond to death is by trying to delay death. We delay death. I would say this one's definitely the biggest. It's sort of like we're still ignoring it, but it's more like we're chasing the fountain of youth. And, and one of the ways this looks is like we're obsessed with things like healthy living, the gym, eating right, running, go, what, and all that's good. That can all be good things, but I think oftentimes people obsess over this because of fear. And they say, if I do X, Y, Z, then I won't get this disease and I'll live as long as I want. And that's just not true. But um, the most clear example of, of delaying death is actually the anti-aging industry, right? Things, the products, all that stuff. And it's actually kind of funny because in our culture, we actually want to age up to a certain point. Like we all go through this where we're like kids and we're like, can't wait to get to middle school, can't wait to get to high school, can't wait to drive can't wait to go to college, can't wait to graduate, can't wait to get married, can't wait to have kids. And then one day, you like wake up from a nap and you're like, I can't walk. I can't, like I'm being punished for sleeping my full eight hours. Like I can't function today. Why is my skin not doing what it's supposed to? I need it to go back in place. My hair follicles need a time machine. This is, <laughs> this is good. That's good. Thank you. Can any of you guess, don't say it out loud, rhetorical, say it in your mind. Can any of you guess the, the value of the anti-aging industry? This is the, the products like, um, it could be Rogaine, hair dye, skin serums, all the way up to Botox, hormone treatments, um, even cosmetic surgery. $63 billion as of last year. Massive industry. And it's projected that it's going to go up to $100 billion by 2030. Now, I am not trying to judge you or say whether it's right or wrong or if you should or shouldn't do it. I am trying to say that is a lot of money. That is a lot of time and energy that is going into delaying the inevitable, right? Like you're going to age. You cannot win that battle and you will die. So you can paint yourself up, but it's not going to work. We try to cheapen death, we ignore death, and we delay it. We, we are trying so hard to get our minds and our bodies literally as far away from death as possible. Yet, the Bible and the preacher tell us that we should remember death, and that it's actually a good thing for us. Like, look just a couple chapters earlier in Ecclesiastes 7. This is 7-2. The preacher says, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. Now we know that he is not against feasting. Like he has said it every week. Like every single conclusion is eat, drink, and be merry. Like that's his thing. But he's saying that there's actually something better. And that's actually to go to the house of mourning. It's somehow good for our soul. Because it allows for reality to break in to our lives, into our minds, 
makes us reflect on our own lives. It makes us wonder, are we actually making the most of our time here? Are we actually living well? Which I would argue lines up really well and beautifully with this biblical category, the practical wisdom for how we're supposed to live in light of this, which we see in Psalm 90. This is a Psalm of Moses. Many of you know this. Moses writes, so teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. So don't cheapen death. Don't ignore death. Don't try to delay it, but acknowledge it. See it for what it is. It is coming. We're called to number our days to see that there's a limit on our time on earth. And Psalm 90 says that that actually leads to a, a, a wise life. That it's, it's good for you to do this. It's good for us to see that our time is short. Because there's something about knowing that death is coming that helps you think about life correctly. Um, in, in preparation for this sermon, I went to a graveyard which I would love to say was my idea, and I'm really spiritual and do things like that, but I don't. It was Tim's idea. Um, Tim does it pretty often, and I decided to take his advice for once. It's not true. I do it all the time. Appreciate him. So I show up to this graveyard, and um, I went to a, mat, a huge one, thousands of graves in our city. And I park my car, I get out, and I start walking around, which I've never done that before, right? I've only been there to attend like a funeral or something. And I'll be honest with you, it was, it was a little strange. It was hard. It, it, I started immediately sensing something in my soul. It was deathly quiet. quiet. So quiet it was loud, almost. I was the only person there. And I start walking in the graves, and I see these old graves, Graves that are so old I can't even read the caption. Graves of people that died in the 1800s. Graves of people that died this year. Graves of, of people that lived long lives into their 90s. Graves of people that died young. Graves of babies. It does something to you. Because you look at the graves and you see the pictures and you say, wow, I don't feel that different from them. And they're buried next to everyone that was in their community and they love. And you immediately think, this is where I'm going. This is where everyone I love is going. This is, we're all going to be buried together, hopefully. <laughs> Am I living well? Am I actually making the most of their time? I wonder what they regretted. Am I going to have the same regrets? How should I live? The end makes us think about the now. Um, philosopher Soren Kierkegaard, I think he sums it up really well. He says, we should live life forward after we define it backward. We should live life forward after we define it backward. I.e., you start with the end in mind. And you sort of rework your life around that. Uh, another way to say it is, uh, the best way to complete a puzzle is to have the box topper handy. To actually know where the puzzle is headed and how it's going to actually come together which is what I would love to spend a little bit of time doing with us this morning. Just help us, help us prepare for what's to come. I know we don't like to think about death, but I want to help us out. I want to pastor us through what probably, most likely, is going to happen as we approach our deaths. So, if you got your list, I want you to pull that back out. I want you to pull that back out. So as we're thinking about how and what death looks like, something that's going to happen as I guess you could say, there's, there's little deaths along the way. 
And the first thing that's going to go is going to be your hopes and dreams, most likely. So you can just cross that out or delete it. I don't mean that in like the most depressing way ever. It's just realistic. There's something that happens, and many of us are already feeling this, and it goes like this. You're a teenager, and then you go to college, and then you get into the real life, and you have all of these ideals, and you have all of these dreams, and we feel very strongly, and we have a lot of conviction about how everything should work, and about how everyone's sort of doing it wrong, and we're going to do it right, because we're the trailblazer. And then we start living life with all these big dreams and hopes, and we start building our lives, and life beats us up. Life just starts beating us up, and it beats some reality and humility into us, which is actually a good thing. And we start getting bills and responsibilities, maybe you have a kid, and we'll start looking back on those hopes and dreams, and one or two things are going to happen. One, you'll say, okay, I did that. That's cool. Check that one off. Or you'll say, that's really unrealistic. That's not going to happen. And we'll either accept what we've done, or we'll have to essentially say, I'm not going to be able to accomplish that other thing, and we're going to have to accept it. But most likely what's going to happen is they're all going to change. Those hopes and dreams are going to change over time. 10, 20, 30 years from now, we'll probably have completely different hopes and dreams and goals and wonder, what were we even thinking when we were sitting in this room? I, I, you just cha They change. But either way, your hopes and dreams are going to be the first ones to go. The next will most likely be your hobbies. They'll also change, but also you'll grow weaker over time. Your physical body is going to change. Wrinkles will form in your skin will droop, and you'll start to notice those creaks and aches, and many of us are already feeling that way, and it's a huge grief for us. But as our physical bodies weaken, our standard of living and the things that we like to do are going to have to change. They're going to become an issue. Just very clearly, hiking mountains is really hard with a cane, with a, mat, with a walker. It just is. I'm sorry to break it to you. What's going to happen is we're going to end up doing more and more watching and less and less participating. So you can cross out those hobbies. The next one is you cross out your work. And just delete your work. We're going to retire at some point. Or your work's going to change at some point. And no matter how much you look forward to that right now, you might be like, that sounds great. You're going to miss it. You'll miss it. You're going to miss participating in the world feeling like you're making an impact or a difference, you're going to miss the routine. You're going to miss the sense of accomplishment. And then maybe the hardest one is that our relationships are going to start to go to. And the first ones are most likely going to be our parents. Some of you have already encountered this. So you can cross those out as well. Start to lose our siblings if they're older. Some of our older friends... And even though they'll most likely outlive you, your kids, they'll move out. They'll leave your house. And that's a good thing. But everything's going to change. And hopefully they will come to visit. But it won't ever be the same. In fact, uh, I read something recently that said 95% of the time that you spend with your children total happens before they turn 18. 
don't have that much time. The next one to go is potentially your spouse. And personally, I, I really hope by God's grace that I outlive Cole. No, that sounds weird, but I, I just don't want her to have to deal with the grief of me dying first and her being alone. I hope that we grow very old and cute and wrinkly and that she dies first and we put her in the ground and I just cannonball right in there after her. And that's how we do that. But statistically, that's not how it's going to go. The, male, the man temp, typically goes first. But regardless of which one of you passes first, your mind will go too. Your mind will grow weaker with time. And even our memories will fade. And just like all accomplishments do, we'll wonder why we cared so much about them to begin with. And then you'll die. And then you'll die. I don't know the order of how that's going to go. I don't know how that's going to look. But to some degree, it's going to happen that way. And there's no amount of skin cream or fun that's going to keep this from happening. All of the ways that we try to respond to death does not keep this from happening. And all of this is actually with the wild assumption that nothing crazy happens. And we actually do make it to old age. Because the reality is we have no idea. We have no idea when this is going to happen. The preacher even says this himself in chapter 8. He says, no man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. We have no control over the day of our death. We have no control over when this is going to happen. And that's, that's absolutely terrifying. And I think we grapple with this all the time. Like even think about this week, like the fires in South Park, right? Like a father died. Just like anybody else, he didn't wake up that morning and think, this is what's going to happen to me. He didn't know. All we know, because we don't know either, all we know is that we're 30 minutes closer than when we walked in the door. It's really hard. Um, we, can, we can take a little time out there, because I think I've successfully ruined your day and weekend and made you very sad and a little anxious so what we're going to do is we're going to do what we did every week. We're going to respond with our three invitations. What actually is the good news? How should we actually live in light of this reality? The Bible's very clear we're going to die, and we don't know when. So what do we do with that? Three invitations for us from Ecclesiastes 9, just like every week. The first one is sacred honesty. Sacred honesty. Once again, we agree with the preacher we agree with him a lot that we don't like these realities. We don't like this. And, and honestly, we shouldn't. Death isn't good. It's an evil under the sun, as he said. But we have to admit, have we been ignoring it? Have we been fighting to delay it? Have you been trying to convince yourself that if you do, just do X, Y, Z, you'll live till you're 100? That you do have control? Are you just trying to escape? Are you just trying to say YOLO and have as much fun as possible? What do you do when you see a tragic headline? What does that do in your heart? You wonder how you can avoid it? we got to be honest about that. And then we have to repent by actually trying to seek to live in light 
of your death, which leads us to our second invitation of sacred mundanity. Sacred mundanity. Look back at verse 5 with me. The preacher says, For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more to share in all that is done under the sun. So the preacher says, we all know this. We all know what's coming. We all know that we'll die, and at some point we will be forgotten. And we feel that, and we fear that, but we have to be careful not to fall into the temptation that nothing matters then, that we just sort of phone it in. We have to choose to live in light of the biblical category that we see in Psalm 90, right? Read it again with me. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. You are going to die, so number your days. There's something that should change in us when we see that Jesus, who is in control of everything, has put a number on our lifespan. The time is limited. There's some incredible clarity and intentionality that should come from knowing that you've got a finite number of days. I wonder what would change if we actually believed this and didn't ignore it or try to fight to delay it, but actually saw this and numbered our days. I, I wonder if we'd be much less consumed by doing what's easiest. If you know you're going to die, you don't care about what's the most comfortable. You care about what matters and what's actually most important. I wonder if we would be a little bit more concerned with the amount of screen time that pops up on our phones at the end of the week. You've, spent this, um, you've lost this amount of time. I wonder how we would handle the fight with our spouse in light of the fact that we're both going to die and hopefully be buried beside one of each other for the next couple hundred years or more. How would you treat your toddler in the middle of an absolute Mount Vesuvius level meltdown tantrum, knowing that your time with them is limited, that you will die, that they will die too? Or your friends, your coworkers, what would change? God calls us to number our days because our earthly lives are going to end. Now, I, I would like to say the truth of that is that just about anyone can like that and say, yeah, that's good. I'm going to live intentionally because I'm going to die. What separates the Christian faith from others is, is that we don't just live in light of the fact that life ends in death. We want to live well because we know that while life ends in death, death actually ends in life. Right? We don't want to just live well now because there's limited time. We live well now because of what is to come. And that is what leads us to our third invitation of sacred joy. Sacred joy. Look with me at uh, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 55, what Paul writes. He says, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Death is not natural. It's the result of sin. And the sting of death is that in our sin we will die and go stand before Jesus. But the hope of the gospel is that that meeting will be a homecoming, a, a warm embrace rather than deserved judgment. That's the hope. 
That's what's different. That's what makes the Christian response to death so much more helpful. Yeah, we don't like it, but we don't ignore it, and we don't try to fight to delay it, because in Christ we're given something way better. We're given a victory, which is why the Apostle Paul could look at death and also say this, what the preacher couldn't from Philippians 1. He says, for me to live is Christ and and to die is gain. In the gospel, Jesus died for us, but is raised to life again and promises that one day we will raise with him. That's what's beautiful about the gospel and the hope for the Christian. The hope of the resurrection changes our entire perspective on life now because we see everything, not with just the end date of our earthly lives, but in light of eternity. That we're unending. It means that we should be spurred to live life for God. We live with an eternal perspective. We see people with an eternal perspective because also, just like the preacher said, judgment is also coming. Judgment is also coming. Everyone lives after they die. So we as Christians, we have the hope of the gospel and the hope of eternal life with Christ. But we should also have incredible amounts of fuel in the tank for those that we love that don't know God. Because we don't have infinite days to share the gospel. We have a limited amount of time. So what should we do with that? We need to live for Christ now because of eternity. We value what he values now. We lay down our lives for what matters now. That we and everyone we love is going to live forever. And that changes how we should treat them. That's what's unique about Christianity. The push that we get from Ecclesiastes isn't just to see that life ends in death and to live well. You should do that. But we have to remember to what end, right? So if your takeaway from the sermon is, you know, I want to love on my kids because I don't have that much time with them, or my parents, that's good, and you should do that, but you should remember to what end. The end is their eternity with God. And how we love on them, and how we share the gospel and show Christ to them. The end is an eternity with God, an eternity with God that gives us so much hope that we can agree with Paul today. To die is gain. What a bold statement in the face of evil, right? In the face of something that's so terrifying, he can say to die is actually gain. It's bold. Yet for the Christian, death is just a doorway. It's a doorway into the healing of our wounds, into our tears being wiped away forever to our hearts being finally satisfied, and to our worries being taken away, and to the restoration with those that we love who know God too, and to the welcoming arms of our God who would stop at nothing to bring us back to Himself. Only through and in Christ can living and dying be a win-win. Because we can live for Christ now, and we can live with Him after we die. And that gives us the courage today to face death while living well by numbering our days. I I love how theologian uh, Luke Ferry puts it. He says, the Christian response to mortality is without question the most effective of all responses. It would seem to be the only version of salvation that enables us not only to transcend the fear of death, but also to beat death itself. And by doing so in terms of individual identity rather than anonymity or abstraction, it would seem to be the only version that offers a truly definitive victory. What a joy that Christ has made a way for us to live in the face of death. 
Um, I, want, I wanted to end with this, um, change my ending in light of this week. Um, as many of you know, uh, one of my and many of our spiritual heroes, I guess you could say, died this week on Friday, Tim Keller. Um, if you don't know Tim Keller, I'm not saying like we knew him personally. He's more like a famous pastor. Um, but he was a pastor and theologian. He was known as an apologist. Um, and people called him a very winsome theologian. He made very complex issues, very graspable. He was very helpful for thousands and thousands of people. His imagination around the things of the Bible, I mean, I would say literally changed my life. Um, he wrote a lot of books, and we love using his quotes. And one of my favorite of his quotes, he writes on death. He says, if Jesus died so you don't have to pay for anything in your past, and he's risen to be your living Savior, what can death do to you? Quotes like those, I think, you know, when I hear them, are, they're really inspiring. But I also wonder, you know, what does this do for somebody that's actually facing death? You know, on their deathbed. And Tim Keller really showed us, at least from what we heard from his family. What was so moving over this past week is in the days leading up to his death, his son gave multiple updates about his condition and uh, gave some quotes on, on what he was saying as he uh, was, was leading up to his death. And, and one of them really struck me. He was quoted praying, I'm thankful for all the people who prayed for me over the years. I'm thankful for my family. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. Can't wait to see Jesus. Send me home. I was confident in the hope of the resurrection, in the sure hope of the resurrection. The family said that some of his last words were, there is no downside for me leaving, not in the slightest. Can't help but say, man, I wish I believed that too. If we could believe like that, God, give us faith. Give us sight of who He is to actually be able to do that. What boldness. Only in Christ. Life ends in death, but death ends in life. What a joy we have to actually live in light of what's to come. Let me pray for us. Father God, um, your word is true and good and beautiful. And also when, when things like this come up, it's also heavy. We ourselves are aware of how finite our lives are. And oftentimes I, I confess that I'm afraid. That it's uh, scary to see the end, the end of uh, relationships, to see that it, all the time is finite. But God, you give us an eternal hope. You give us an eternal hope that one day we will raise, that when we close our eyes in death, we'll open them to see in Christ your smile. To be embraced forever. God, we, we ask for your help to live in light of that now. Teach us to number our days and to live well in intentionality, but also help us to remember to, the, to what end. God, let the, the reality that life ends in death and death ends in life spur us to care more. Not to just give in to apathy, 
just to the, the normal, I guess in our mind, boring routine, but actually lock in and see that you have placed us where we are for a reason, for a limited amount of time, so that we as Christians can be a blessing. And for our own deaths, we thank you for the hope of the resurrection. We pray in your name, Jesus.